0: How do you feel about old bridges? See, I'm a big fan of bridges. I, I, I love the designs. I, I love the uh, structure of them. I, I, I'm, I really enjoy bridges. But i got to tell you, driving across an old bridge can make me uh, question some things. For instance, uh, there... Um, they're building a new bridge next to the eastbound lanes of the McClug Bridge, the McCluggage Bridge. Um, <clears throat> that brings some questions to mind. If you've been over there on the 150, there are uh, two existing spans, and they're building a third span. And evidently, the, the westbound lanes were built back in the 80s. And the eastbound lanes, which used to carry traffic in both directions, was built some time before that. Here is what the website that's committed to the building of the new bridge says about the current eastbound lanes. The basic structure is more than seven decades old and is approaching the end of its serviceable life. After more than 70 years of service to the Peoria metro area, the existing eastbound McCluggage Bridge is structurally deficient and functionally obsolete. It'll be nice when the new bridge is completed. That being said, maybe some of us have read too many of those stories of new bridges failing. And maybe we're more comfortable with the tried and true that's proven itself time and time again. So maybe we might ask all the engineers and the construction workers that once the new bridge is completed that they would form a line and we would simply pull over and they, one would get in our car and we would have the guarantee of someone who built it being with us as we made our way across the bridge. Maybe that would increase our Trust. Trust. You know, Merriam-Webster's dictionary puts it this way, trust is assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something, one in which confidence is placed. Trusting God. Trusting God is that assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, and truth of the living God. And so, the call before us, the the opportunity that we have, the, the quickening of our hearts that God provides calls us to trust God to be sovereign, to be truly in charge of all things, to be true and faithful and loving and good, that God Himself is able, in fact more than able and more than willing to carry us across all of life. Our passage provides a gift in this uh, area. It's going to give us more reasons to trust God more, more reasons that we would be assured in the confidence that we have in God. Our passage is uh, from Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah is an interesting book, a wonderfully uh, uh, influential book, not only in the Old Testament, but for the New Testament as well. Um, There's much written about the writing of Isaiah. In fact, if you look at it, that, that there seems very much to be these three very distinct parts of the book, that we have the first 39 chapters And that has this feel of being written in the 8th century. As Isaiah's writing to the people at that time with the future spread out before it and God having Isaiah prophesy to them, when we get to chapter 40, there's a bit of a turn. That now it seems more like the situation is of the 6th century with the people already having experienced the exile and there's this sense that they're coming back to the promised land. And then there's a latter part that some would even say is focused on that post-exilic time, sometime in the 5th century. And while the full exploration of these divisions and how we come by this book is beyond the scope of our time here this morning, it's so good to know that this is God's revelation to us. As we receive the message from this text today in chapter 41, So, as it gives us more reasons to trust God more, let's look for those reasons in the text as we read it this morning. If you would open your uh, Bible to Isaiah chapter 41, uh, not only will we be looking at verses 8 through 10, but we're going to pick up 8 through 20. There's actually this extended passage, 8 through 10 speaks to the God with us, but it all comes together in how trustworthy God is. Let's receive the Word of God this morning. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them. And the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord. In the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and, on their, tongue, uh, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights, and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain and the pine together that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. May God bless the reading of His word, and may God shine His favor upon us as we submit ourselves unto Him and obey His teachings. All right, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to examine our passage, and then we'll look at what does that mean for us today. So we're first going to spend some time simply examining the passage. What we find here are three different sections. Maybe you picked up on them as we were reading through it, three different sections, three pictures of what these exiled people would be experiencing as they return to the promised land. There's a commentator that I was uh, spending time with this past week in his text, a gentleman by the name of Alec Motier, excuse me, Alec Motier. He used the description this way, that these three sections we could talk about uh, human hostility or enemies, uh, personal weaknesses, and uh, adverse circumstances. So, three sections, each painting a different picture, one about enemies, one about weaknesses, and one about tough circumstances we face. Maybe that's a good time for us to pause. Maybe we can consider those three things ourselves. What is it that you are currently facing? Is there human opposition to what you're trying to further in your life? Do you sense as though there are enemies about you? Maybe people even in our own home sharing the same roof that we're at odds with one another right now. Is that our situation? Maybe you're all too aware of your own personal shortcomings, and you just don't know how to move forward because of the, the weaknesses in your life whether they're physical weaknesses, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, you're just feeling weak. And how can I be about this when this is who I am? Or maybe for some of us, it's really the circumstances. We we look around us and we just feel like there are these really tough circumstances that we're up against. What are the challenges we're called to trust God in today? Well, in our text, in the three sections, as the pictures are being painted, what we find is that there are different um, uh, uh, descriptions, but the same components. We find that there are comments provided about the relationship that God has with His people, that God gives a charge to His people, and then God gives a pledge. So, whether our situation is that we have human hostility or whether our situation is that we're facing our personal weaknesses or, or that we have these advent, adverse circumstances, that we know that God has a relationship uh, with us, that we have a relationship with God, that, that God has a charge for us, that, that God has a pledge that He makes to us. So, let's take a look at the three sections in turn. The first one is uh, chapter 41, verses 8 through 13. 8 through 13. And what we discover in this is that when it comes to describing the relationship, the people, the recipients of these words are described as servants, that they're God's servants. In fact, if we were to look directly at the words themselves, that this is, they are divinely chosen to be God's servants, that this is not even of their choosing, but God is the one who elects. God moves toward God people, and that the patriarchs are mentioned, that Abraham and Jacob are mentioned, and that these people are not only servants, not only chosen servants, but they're children of the covenant. In verse 9, we find these words, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. In verse 13, then God goes on to say, I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. I am the one who helps you. The picture of the master and the servant, the one who serves, the one who's chosen to serve, the one chosen by God, and the God who comes alongside and helps them out. And so then the charge comes, fear not, do not be dismayed. We talked about this even last week the word here for dismayed has this uh, sense behind it of of a person darting their eyes around and trying to look for help in all kinds of different directions not knowing from uh, where that help will come so this encouragement keep your eyes on me and so then god makes a pledge he says to them i am with you and with god's presence with his people come also this statement i am your god I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And since this portion of the uh, the passage focuses on human hostility, here's what God pledges. He says, your enemies, your enemies will be put to shame. They will be as nothing. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. That's how much God will provide. Let's move on to the second picture. This one about personal weaknesses, our own personal weaknesses. And there's a calling out that God says to the people, you worm Jacob. How low can you be in the midst of all of creation? And God says, listen, you are as of nothing. Let's, let's admit it. You, you have no spine. This is who you are. You don't have the abilities. We don't have the abilities that God has you worm, Jacob, people of Israel. And it goes on, though, to say, God, this is who God is. God is the one who helps. The Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. So, if the people are but a worm, God is the one that comes and helps and redeems, who works on their behalf. And the charge comes again. We have this similar charge here, fear not, and then God makes His pledge verse 15, I make of you a threshing sledge, new sharp and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains. So, not just wheat. You're not just going to go after the harvest, but you can thresh against mountains themselves and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. In fact, so much so as the wind would come up, that everything would be blown away. So not only will we move mountains, like like a mountain just an inch or two, but God says, here's what I'm going to do for you. You who are weak, you who are the worm, because of my hand upon you, you will be powerful and make such a difference. We even have teaching like this. Of course, we have teaching like this across the board for all of these things but we have teaching in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. Verse 16 in our passage says, you shall rejoice in the Lord, in the Holy One of Israel, you shall glory. That's what God will accomplish for we who are worms. Then finally, we come to that third section, this section, verses 17 through 20, the adverse circumstances. Here, the people are called the poor and the needy, those who thirst, that when they come up against the world around them and, and the trials that they have to go through, the, the challenges that they face, they are the poor and the needy, those who are parched, those who thirst. And then God says on His side of the relationship that the Lord is the one who answers and does not forsake. Now, there's no uh, actual words for a charge here, but there's this implied charge that comes from the first two pictures. So, there's the implied charge of do not be afraid. And then comes God's pledge. He says, in response to their circumstance, in response to them feeling poor and needy and thirsty, here's what God promises, I will open rivers and fountains. I will provide with abundance trees growing where they don't usually grow in, in unheard of combinations. As commentators point out, these trees that are listed is that these are, are trees of, uh, of Palestine, and, and so the people in exile to go to return to the land that these, there's this promise coming to them. I know you're up against it. I know you're up against adverse circumstances. But in the desert, I'll give you water, and I'll give you shade. In fact, I'm going to do it in such a way that no one can say this is some natural phenomenon, that I'm the one who provides for you, that they may see and know that the hand of the Lord has done this. Three pictures of God's provision, of God being with them and being for them, have you ever, I know that um, Nathan talked about a movie at the beginning of the service, and, and uh, one that uh, caused some fear in his life. Uh, let me give an alternative movie. Have you ever watched the movie, the 2012 version of uh, Much Ado About Nothing? Have you ever seen that film? It's a great film. It's a, uh, so Joss Whedon took um, Shakespeare's play and then uh, um, I formatted it for Today's World, still using the, the language that Shakespeare used, but then it was filmed. He had the whole thing filmed in 12 days in his house in Santa Monica. And he had everybody dressed in modern-day clothing. I love it when people do that well, when they they give us access to something old and historic and something that was from a bygone era, but then they wrap it in, in our culture today and we can see it afresh and new. I encourage you to check it out. But for our use this morning... This is what often works for people of God when we can put ourselves in the situation of those of a bygone era. When we put ourselves in their shoes, when we put ourselves in those to whom the text was originally addressed, here's what we find. God was charging them to trust in Him. Picture yourself. You've, you've been taken out of your land. In fact, so long ago, this would be about as long as the, the Cluggage Bridge has been around. The people had been removed and taken away, and, and all of life had been upset. And In fact, generations have gone and come, and, and they're being called to come now out of the home that they're currently experiencing, back into a land that they had heard stories of. And God was charging them to trust in Him as they moved from exile to return. Now, we know something about God moving us in our lives. We know something of that experience. We not only can look back and, and try to imagine what it would have been like for them, but we know that torment or that challenge that we experience in our own lives. For God moves us from pride to humility and selflessness. That God moves us from being greedy to being generous. He moves us from envy to compassion. That God is in the business of moving us from anger to gentleness, from lust to self-control, from gluttony to moderation and sacrifice. In other words, God is moving us from being unaligned with His heart in His way, to being aligned with His heart in His way. That God is moving us from being unaligned with God's kingdom to being aligned with His kingdom. I know that we have our own reasons why we resist this, why we don't just say, fantastic God, I'm all in, count me in, I'll do it. We have our reasons why we push back on God. Maybe for some of us, we wonder, well, if I do that, will I miss out? If, if I go back, if, if I go toward what God is calling me to go toward, will I miss out on something? Will I, will I miss out on an opportunity that other people seem to be free to enjoy? Will I miss out? Maybe for some of us, it's the question of, will I be rejected? Listen, if I'm going to a place that already has people in it, will I be rejected by them? If I go along with what God calls me to, if I, if I share my faith in this world, if I'm light in this world, if I stand up against injustices that are being put upon other people, well then, will people push back on me? Maybe we also ask the question, will I suffer to go where God wants me to go? to live according to the path he's laid out, to align my life with the kingdom of God but live in the kingdom of this world, will I suffer? And oftentimes, I think in our culture, I know from my own experience, will I suffer becomes, will I be uncomfortable? Maybe it comes down to this then. It's that question. Will we trust God? Will we trust God you know, this is our staying power. This is, this is how we stay strong in this world. It's God's greatness and our trust in God's greatness. The difference maker for us is the greatness of God and then because of God quickening our hearts, our openness, our, our commitment to growing in that trust, to taking God at His word and trusting what He says. When the passage says, God is with you. And we read on. We find out that God being with us means also that God is for us. And God has made that pledge. He says, I am with you. And, and it paints out then that means God is for us. And we might ask, is there a catch? And this is probably the place I should say, no. Oh, there's no catch. It's all… And yet, I believe there is a catch. God gives Himself to our success, yes. But the catch is this, as long as we define our success as the kingdom of God, there's not a prosperity gospel, nothing that says that God is just there for our own agendas. God is with us for His agenda in our life, which means God is for us in the best sense. In Psalm 138, the very first part of verse 8, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Now, we know that the New Testament would affirm these things as well. We find um, that there's just this importance of trusting God. It's central to the gospel. And that trusting God is more than simply believing, more than saying, "Yeah, yeah, I believe Jesus lived, but it's to lean into that. It's to depend on, it's to follow after, that to say I trust God is to say I stake my life, all of who I am, on who He is. We have these words for us in James. Maybe you've read them before. We find that James writes it this way, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He goes on, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In other words, to believe God is, is good, but to believe God without following through and trusting in God in God's way falls horribly short. Jesus said it this way, The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Much later, Martin Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. So, maybe even this morning we could identify one area in each of our lives, one place where we have been timid, where we've been holding back, when, when we hear that God will be with us, but we're not sure we want to be with the ways of God. Can you identify one area? Maybe it has to do with money, or with a relationship, or with, with the work you're doing, or being light in this world, or standing up for, in, uh, for justice, for God's justice in this world. Identify one area, one charge of God, and in that place trust God. So what bridge will you trust? What or who will we trust to get us through the next day, to get us across the next week, to get us across the next month, the next year, the next decade? We know that life calls for staying power, for staying strong in Christ. Power to remain faithful to God above everything else. God calls us His children, His chosen ones. He knows we are poor and needy. He knows that we are worms in this world. And He has let us know that He is our helper our Redeemer, and He pledges Himself to be with us. And being with us is also then to strengthen us and to uphold us so that we would have reason upon reason to trust Him, that we would have more reasons to trust God more. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these pictures. We thank You that in space and time, You had Isaiah speak on Your behalf, that would speak Your words to Your people. And that, God, that we can even hear these words today, that as we put ourselves into their situation, we can also understand the message for our situation today. And, God, we thank You that You indeed are with us the living God, our Redeemer, with us, the all-powerful One with us. And according to Your agenda, according to Your purposes for us, God, may we welcome You and Your help and Your strength that we might trust Your ways and walk according to them. We give You praise. We're so thankful for how you accomplish all this in Christ and as we trust in Christ that we have opportunity to rejoice in you. We pray this in his name and together God's people say, amen.